Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Uh, we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 16. Uh, so I'll give you a minute to turn or click there. Uh, we're reading from the Christian Standard Bible, just as a reminder. Let's read. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I have already said that you were in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss for us from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wronged, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. For if I have made any boast to him about you, I have not been disappointed. But as I have spoken everything to you in, in truth, so our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection toward you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. Well, good evening, every person. It's great to see you all here. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for one another and we thank you for the chance that we have to hear and think about your word alongside each other. Father, we do pray now that you would help us, that we would understand what you have to say, that we would uh, grasp its meaning and that we would put it into practice in our lives. And Father, we pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know how annoying it is when you need to find something, you're looking for something, but you just can't find it. You, you know it exists, you know you had it, but you just can't find it. You know, it's like you're in the morning, you're 
getting ready, you have somewhere that you need to be and you are slightly behind schedule, you're not late, of course, you're just somewhat chronally challenged at this moment. And so you, you, but you get yourself organized, you get yourself ready and then you're about to leave and you realize you can't find your car keys. You know, that moment, that feeling where they're somewhere, you had them, you know, they're somewhere, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're not anywhere obvious, but they're somewhere in the house. And then you have the frantic search to find them. And that feeling, it drives you crazy. When there's something that you know is there that you need, but you just can't find or you're looking for the TV remote or the Apple TV remote, small, thin, it's gotta be somewhere, but it's so easy to lose it. And so you're pulling up the lounge cushions, you're blaming everyone else in the house for what they've done with it and where it is. It's so, it can drive you crazy when you're looking for something, you know it exists, you know it's somewhere, but no matter what you do, you just can't find it. You know, you're trying to find the right job, but you keep on swapping from here and there. And every time there's something about it, that's just not quite right. And the jobs keep on changing, but the satisfaction's not there. Or you're perhaps you're trying to find the right house. You want to rent somewhere or buy somewhere. And it's just, they're either too far away or they're too close or the yard is too big or the yard is too small or the layout's not quite right or maybe even worse it's exactly everything that it needs to be it's perfect it's just that you can't afford it it's too expensive and so you have to keep on looking right we're always looking for stuff we're always trying to find things and whether it's keys and remotes or whether it's jobs and houses, or whether it's friends and relationships, or whether it's larger things like purpose or peace or, or joy, we're trying to find stuff. And at the same time, we're also trying to avoid finding other things. We're trying to avoid things like loneliness or grief, or loss or regret, and so we're trying to find these things. We're trying to avoid these things. And that doesn't go away when you start following Jesus. It, it can sometimes feel like following Jesus and trying to live for him and trying to stand up for him and to try and speak for him and live life in line with how he wants. It can feel like doing that makes it harder to find life and to find friends maybe, or to find people who genuinely love you or to, to find joy. And then at the same time, it can sometimes feel like following Jesus makes it easier to find things like grief and sorrow and regret. And so the, the question is, is it supposed to be this way? Or is there something maybe obvious that we're missing? Or is there perhaps a different way to think about it? Because this is what Paul is talking about in this chapter that we just had read out. Because what I'm hoping we'll 
C is how to find the path to life and how to find the path to joy and to living joyful gospel lives and joyful gospel ministry. And we're going to see that the path to life and joy and no regrets, it, it might actually veer off in a way that you might not be expecting. And it's going to maybe cover some perhaps surprising terrain on the path to the joyful life. Because what we're going to see is that in order to find joy and life, the way to happiness, an important part of the puzzle is actually grief and sorrow. But there's also another piece that we're going to that we're going to see, which might be obvious, but it's easy to overlook. And so it's a piece that is absolutely required for grief and sorrow to produce life and joy. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And so far, this book has been one of, if not the most raw, emotional, up close and personal deeply intense books of the whole New Testament. And Paul has been desperate to win the hearts and minds of the church family in Corinth. And we've had the strong vibe week after week that Paul hasn't really had much confidence that this church is going to work out, that that this church is going to get itself sorted. It kind of has felt like this church is on life support and we're not sure how it's going to end up. And so Paul just lays everything on the line to help them to stay on track. And he outlines his ministry and he outlines his his way of life of weakness and suffering. And after pretty much six chapters of overwhelming affliction and suffering and pain and tense defending and commending, suddenly we get to chapter seven. And it's like the fog lifts and the clouds roll back and and Paul now suddenly seems confident. He seems encouraged. He seems seems almost like he's happy. And what's happening is that for the first six chapters, Paul has been speaking to those who were wavering. They had been influenced by their culture and by their city and by their favorite entertainers and their favorite philosophers, and they weren't too sure, weren't too impressed with Paul. And now, having dealt with that and having dealt with them, he then moves on to other issues, bigger issues. And the bigger picture is that he's joyful. Paul is happy. He's he's really genuinely happy. And of course, as we have just sort of said, if you've been around for the last month or so, you'll know that this happiness comes in the context of six chapters of Paul talking about the necessity, the unavoidable reality of suffering for the gospel. We've talked about that every week. And so one of the big important things to see is that for Paul, real deep joy in gospel ministry in this 
life is there and real even as we struggle and even as we suffer and that we need to talk about both of them and we need to take note of both of them because both of them are always true. We saw a little preview of this last week in that big list, right? Chapter six, the big list of stuff. In the reversals, Paul has this striking little kind of beautiful phrase. Chapter six, verse 10, he says, grieving yet always rejoicing. And it's that little phrase we're going to see this week in chapter seven, that grieving yet always rejoicing, that's going to play out. We're going to see it in Paul's life and in the life of the church in Corinth as well. Suffering, grieving, sorrow, yet always joy, encouragement, and rejoicing. So let's uh, jump in. Uh, uh, Verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 4. He starts and says, make room for us in your hearts. This is what he was just on about, right? In chapter six, open your hearts to us. We have opened our hearts to you. Open your hearts to us. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you since I've already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Right? You can you can feel the tone has changed. And so what's going on? What's happening here? Why why has this changed? And the answer is what happened was the rest of Paul's story happened. If you were here way back in week two, you'll remember Paul was kind of telling a story about where he had traveled to and where he was going next, what his plans were, how it was all going. And he just sort of abruptly stopped it to then talk about his ministry and how all of that works. So in chapter two, verse 12, he had said, when I come to Troas, Sorry, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, that's up north, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I didn't find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia, which is across the way. Remember, Paul was going to go visit Corinth, but then he heard that the church was sort of struggling, things weren't going very well. And so instead of another painful visit, he instead wrote them a letter, gave it to Titus to take to them. And the idea was that they would respond in one way or the other, and then Titus would return to Paul and let him know how it had all gone. The problem was Titus never turned up. And so Paul was waiting for him and waiting for news as to how his letter kind of was received. Did the church receive it well or did was this the last straw and did they want to chuck it all in and walk away from everything? Paul didn't know. 
And so Titus didn't turn up and Paul was worried and there was no way to contact him, right? There's no email, there's no text, you can't track him on the kind of GPS, you just had to wait. And so here in chapter 7, Paul comes back to that story that he'd stopped to, and, and the story explains his change of tone, why he's now encouraged, and joyful and happy. Chapter 7, verse 5, he says, In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But then, verse 6, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. God comforted Paul and his team because Titus finally arrived. But it's not just that Titus arrived. He arrived and and had been comforted by the Corinthian church. And again, we talked about this way back in week one, right? The God of all comfort who comforts us so that we can comfort others. And we said back then that the word comfort that Paul uses here isn't the kind of there, there, it'll be okay, warm, blanky, hot chocolate kind of comfort. Not there's anything wrong with that, right? We all love a warm blanky, but that's just not what the word means. The word means to strengthen or to encourage. And you see that here, right? Titus was comforted by the Corinthians' response to Paul's letter. He he wasn't quite sure how that would go down, but their response to the letter was a good one. And that encouraged and strengthened Titus. Titus then leaves Corinth, comes and finds Paul, and his presence encourages and strengthens Paul. But more than that, when he finds out how the Corinthians had responded, that strengthens and encourages Paul as well. And so he then rejoiced even more, right? God strengthens Titus and then Titus strengthens Paul. It's just chapter one in flight. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. So Paul sent this letter and they responded well, good news, everybody's happy. But the question is, what, what was... <laughs> the question is, they, everyone's now happy what was the response? What exactly happened? What did the Corinthians exactly do? Because the result was encouragement, strengthening, joy, no regrets. And so what was it? What was the path that led to joy, strength, encouragement, and no regrets? What's the path to a life like that? And the answer that we're going to see is that it's three things. Number one, it's hard truths. Number two, it's godly grief. 
And then number three, there's a secret ingredient. So let's see it for ourselves from verse eight. Paul says, for even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. And you can feel here, Paul is a bit conflicted. He, he wrote this letter. It wasn't easy. He knew it, it would hurt them, grieve them, and that's not fun, and he didn't like it, and it caused them sorrow. He wasn't aiming at that, but that's what happened. You know how sometimes you can say hurtful things just to be hurtful? That, and, th- and that's your point, N- not you, other people. We all know other people can sometimes say hurtful things just to be hurtful. That's not what Paul's doing here. The loving thing was to tell them the truth, even if it was painful. And that's the first part to the path of joy, hard truths. Paul told them these hard truths because he loved them. He wanted to help them. And so in love, he told them the truth. And the important thing I think to see is that he didn't know how this would turn out. He didn't know how they would receive it. But he he told them the truth anyways because it matters and it was the right thing to do. But he told them the truth not to destroy them, but because he loved them. There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs, obviously, uh, chapter 27, verse 6. And the proverb goes like this. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy. And Paul had wounded them, but he did it as a friend. He didn't tell them the truth. If he didn't tell them the truth, then he wouldn't be their friend, right? Enemies tell you what you want to hear, but real friends tell you what you need to hear. And Paul told them what they needed to hear. You know how sometimes you're chatting with a person and they have like a thing hanging out of their nose, like a little booger, and you're not sure whether you should say something about it or not? Like it's a hard truth and you're just not sure you can bring yourself to say to them, hey, you've got to, you should just, just why? It's hard to do, right? And and I don't know if, you, if you're like this, but you, you kind of think, maybe I just won't say anything and someone else will tell them and I don't have to be the one. And then you let them walk around like that with a thing hanging out of their nose. Like that's a real friend tells you that you've got a thing hanging out of your nose, right? That's what a real friend does. And Paul, this church had a thing hanging out of their, hanging out of their nose and it was bad. And so Paul, as a real friend, had to tell them the hard truths. You got to fix this up. You got to wipe that off. And the hard truth led to godly grief. Verse 9, again, he says, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. 
For you were grieved as God willed, so that you did not experience any loss from us. Right? The grief that they experienced from hearing these hard truths was grief as God willed. It was grief in response to God's truth. It was, it was grief because they were out of sync with truth. Paul had told them these truths. They were out of sync with what God said, and it caused them grief. So the path to life with no regrets is speaking and hearing hard truths and the godly grief that comes from that. And some of us are very good at this, and others of us, it's harder. You know, we struggle more. But this is, this is very hard. Some of us are, are good at speaking hard truths to others, but we're less good at hearing hard truths being spoken to us, right? And maybe that's you. This is hard. Others of us maybe speak too many hard truths and we need to learn which things need to be said and which things need to be let go and which things need to be overlooked, you know, with kind of grace. It's hard. Others of us speak hard truths too harshly. And so when we speak hard truths, we make it harder than it needs to be. And so we need to learn to be more gentle and, and more loving in the way that we speak. Some of us perhaps find it hard to speak hard truths because we don't want to cause people grief and sorrow. And so we just keep it to ourselves, which at least means that we can feel as though we're nice, but we're not being loving. And then some of us find it hard to speak hard truths sometimes because we don't want to cause people grief. But instead of keeping it to ourselves, we tell everybody else rather than the person. And so we can feel like we've been nice because we haven't grieved the person, but we've told everyone else. And when the person finds out that everyone else knows about it, well, we haven't grieved them, but now we've destroyed them. So which one are you of those options? Which, where do you find it hard? Because this is hard. It's very hard. And there are lots of ways that we can mess this up. But we want to keep on getting better at this. We want to, what God wants for us is that we would follow Paul as he follows Jesus in speaking the truth in love. And, and both parts of that are important. Speaking the truth in love. They're both important. It's like doing surgery with anesthetic, right? You need them both. If you just speak the truth without love, it's like doing surgery without the anesthetic, right? The job still gets done, but it's much more painful than it needs to be, right? Others of us are a bit more in love and we do less speaking the truth. That's like having the anesthetic, but no surgery. It's like, sure, everyone's having a good time, 
but the job's not getting done. And if we keep traveling like that, it'll only get worse. And in the end, it'll lead to death. And so what part of all of that do you find the hardest? Speaking the truth in love, which is hard. It's hard for us all, but how is it hard for you? And what is it that God wants you to work on so that you can be more faithful to him and more loving to others? Hard truths, godly grief, and then the kind of secret ingredient, the secret herbs and spices, legit repentance. Verse 10. He says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. The word repentance just means to change your mind and then to change the way that you live. And so Paul says, grief in response to God's truth produces repentance, a change of mind that leads to a change in how we live, that leads to salvation and no regrets. And you can see the contrast, right? Worldly grief doesn't produce repentance. It just produces death. Here's how it works, right? Someone speaks hard truths into your life, you know, from from God's word and It grieves you, but you don't repent, right? Imagine that. There are two ways that it could then go. Option one is you you live in that grief, you just marinate in it, and it keeps forcing itself inward and it leads to despair. Option one. Option two is you sit in in that grief and it turns rancid and it turns outward and it turns into resentment and you start resenting other people. Maybe even you start resenting God himself. And the, the decisive factor is Jesus, right? When you know him and you know what he's done for you, like chapter five, verse 21, on the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you know who he is and what he's done for you, dealt with sin, then you can take those hard truths and you can take the grief and then you can go to the cross. You can go to Jesus and it produces repentance. Grief sorrow, that's not the same thing as repentance, right? Grief in the face of God's hard truths, grief at our sin, that's a good start, but it's not repentance. Imagine you're learning to drive, right? And your mum is teaching you and you're going out for a drive and uh, you, you're on one of those big roads, right? Like the M2 or the m eight or the M4 or like a big road. And um, you get a bit confused and you end up turning too early and you turn on one of the off ramps, right? And so there are cars coming toward you 
And there's one of those big red signs, you know, wrong way, go back. You've seen those. And you're looking at one of those and, and the, the traffic is heading right at you. And your mum is composed as she's shrieking and clawing at the dashboard. And you look over to her and you say, oh, mother. I am so sorry for going the wrong way. My sorrow is both deep and wide. And as the cars speed head on towards us, I both rue and lament that which I have done to bring us to this precipice of fiery death. My grief and regret knows no bounds. That's all fine, right? That's good. Be sorry, sure. But if that's all you are, then you will just continue into a fiery death, right? Grief with no repentance produces death. But what repentance is, you feel sorry for going the wrong way but then you turn the car around and you start driving the right way. And so your repentance leads to salvation and no regret, right? Worldly grief with no repentance leads to death and regret. Godly grief produces repentance. You turn the car around and you start driving the other way and leads to salvation and no regret. And that's what Paul's talking about. In verses 11 and 12, you can see what that repentance looked like for the Corinthians. But the question is, what will it look like for you? The path to finding a life of joy with no regrets, that path winds through the terrain of hard truths godly grief, and then legit repentance. And it's the repentance that turns grief from death into life. And so let's, let's be a church that's good at speaking and receiving hard truths, speaking the truth in love. And let's, let's make sure that we keep repenting in the face of God's truth, pointing out those areas where we need to change. And so what is it for you? Where is it in the speaking the truth in love, hard truths, receiving hard truths? Where is it in there that you need to work on? What is it in that that you find hard? And What is it? What area of your life is it where God has been perhaps pointing out some hard truths from his word about areas, parts of your life, patterns of your life that need to change? What is it? Where is it? Because let's let's live lives of salvation with no regret. Grieving, yet always rejoicing. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus that though he knew no sin, he became sin for us and took our place so that we might become right with you. And Father, we do pray that you would help us to live his way and walk his way, that we would speak the truth in love, help us to do that well. And Father, we do pray that you would help us as we live our lives and speak and receive hard truths and experience godly grief, that we would also uh, be legit repenters, that we would live uh, constantly changing back to living your way, that we would live lives of salvation and joy with no regret. And we pray that in his name. Amen.